Your Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of the Locked On VGK podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get twenty percent off your next order. Welcome back to the Locked On Golden Knights podcast. I'm Jack Manning. I'm AJ Alexander. Tell me, do you really have any worries about what's going to happen with the Minnesota Wild tomorrow night? I wouldn't say worries. That might be overstating it a bit, but. In reality, usually Vegas has a difficult time with Minnesota. It's like they've got a hex on them. But, I mean, they had a fantastic game. Obviously, Mark Stone is on a roll. Hopefully, the momentum can continue. Hopefully, there are no postponements. Hopefully, we can just continue carrying this through. And hopefully, maybe even play the Sharks for one of the games that we are supposed to play originally. Yeah, at some point this season, we're going to have to play the, the other eight games of that series against the Sharks. Uh, but first, you know, like like we say, we're going to watch the, the Vegas Golden Knights go back up against the Minnesota Wild. And what I'm particularly excited to see is how Alex Petrangelo steps up and plays in that game. I think it's, it's safe to say that the Minnesota Wild are at least a contender for a playoff spot in this week, weakened Western division. And so I like to use the Minnesota Wild as a bit of a benchmark, the same way that we use the, the Colorado Avalanche, the same way we use the, the, the St. Louis Blues. I think they're a good benchmark as far as determining how good this team actually is. And so what we saw on Monday night was a team that struggled for two periods to, to put up a consistent effort, but then really turned it on in the third period and really looked like a not just a playoff team, but a true Stanley Cup contender, potentially a Stanley Cup winning team. But what I'm really interested to see, and I think a lot of Golden Knights fans are interested to see, is how is Alex Petrangelo, the $8.8 million man, going to start performing now that we're a ways into the season, almost almost a full third of the way into the season, it's about time that we start to make some decisions on who the players on this team really are. Uh, so, AJ, I'm curious, what do you think of Alex Petrangelo so far this season? Well, it's a tale of two, two seasons so far uh, when it comes to Petrangelo, in my mind. He started off pretty poorly, and I think that was obvious for everybody that was watching. This is a much different system than he's used to playing. And look, he played his entire career in St. Louis. That's a long time. So there is a lot changing for him. There is a lot that's different for him. And hopefully, just hopefully, this is the sign of things that are yet to come. I don't think that he's living up to the hype and the price tag quite yet, even with his better play lately. But I think he'll eventually get there. And like I said, I hope this is just the start of it. I don't think that anyone would say that he's been a weak spot for the Golden Knights. He certainly hasn't been their sure. worst defenseman. He's been a, a capable top four player. Uh, but 
I think to your point, probably hasn't lived up to all $8.8 million of his annual salary just yet. If you look at the way that he's played over the last little while as compared to the beginning of the season, and you consider the fact that this is a guy that just moved his young wife and their four young children, all of whom are under age three, moved them all to Las Vegas from St. Louis, where they've lived for their entire adult lives and where all of his in-laws continue to live day in and day out, there shouldn't be much surprise that maybe things took a little bit longer to get rolling for him than than you might have hoped or you might have expected, or maybe even might have expected out of another player in a little bit different situation, someone who's used to moving around as a hockey player. Yeah, I don't think we're having this conversation at all if it's John Merrill playing the same way. (laughs) I don't think that's, you know, I think the magnifying glass is on Alex because of the contract, because of the hype, because of the recent Stanley Cup. Um, But again, I think that he's finding his sea legs and ultimately this system that DeBoer employs will really start suiting Petrangelo, especially as he gets more comfortable. The the player that we really want to see is the player that showed up against the the Anaheim Ducks a couple of nights ago, where uh, Petrangelo picked up a golden assist uh, and, and was defensively responsible and helped lead that team to a, to a pretty resounding victory uh, over the Anaheim Ducks. And I think that's what you might expect from, from Petrangelo going forward. A guy that's going to add a lot in the offensive end, a guy that's going to take risks now and again, but isn't ever going to, to go all in leaving the uh, a guy that's going to go all in leaving his defense partner out to dry or leaving the goaltender out to dry. Uh, And so I think that's really what you, what you have to aim for here. And I think that perhaps golden Knights fans might have to readjust their expectations for what $8.8 million worth of Alex Petrangelo really looks like. I don't know that you're going to see the the same type of player that you know Eric Carlson was in, in his prime, or a, a player like Shea Theodore, who's going to have those highlight reel plays. Everything that Alex Petrangelo does here, and everything that he's done uh, throughout his career in St. Louis, has been about getting himself to the right position so that he can make the easy but really effective play. I mean, you saw that in the last game against the Wild with his stretch passing. Yeah, exactly right. You know, he doesn't have to, uh, he doesn't have to deke around three guys if he can just make the simple but long distance pass that boosts a guy to go out and, to, and take a, a really good chance on a goaltender. I think he's on pace for about 30 points as it stands right around there without doing all of the math. Um, so hopefully that pace continues to increase because that's a little disappointing, even in a, a shortened season. But at any rate, it's good to see him just feel more comfortable. It's it's clear to see that he's actually, like I said, uh, not to overuse the cliche here, but finding his sea legs here. So let me, let me ask this question a little bit of a, a different way. If, if this was the, a full-length season, 82 games, what would you consider appropriate production for an $8.8 million uh, Alex Petrangelo? I would say it's not unreasonable at all to expect – 45 to 55 points that's right around where he's hovered for most of his career yeah so ideally we're then we're, we're probably looking for just over about half a point per game and a guy that is defensively responsible enough I, I I think your point is well taken from the beginning of the show that he's offense first 
but he the reason he is such a highly touted player is because he is also defensively responsible enough right he's he's not uh, he's not out there um taking these huge risks and leaving people out to dry so yeah i think that's the type of production that you need to expect from a guy like this but you also hope that when he's defending, when when he's going one-on-one with Nathan McKinnon, and maybe that's not a, a particularly fair comparison because Nathan McKinnon is, is such a good player. But if he's going one-on-one with Nathan McKinnon, you'd like to see a little bit more effectiveness than what we saw, you know, for example, in the outdoor game where he got pretty visibly and embarrassingly beat uh, off of just the pure explosive uh, skating and, and shot uh, of Nathan McKinnon. Especially since it's almost a sure thing that these teams inevitably meet in the playoffs on the way to what will probably be a Stanley cup finals run for either team. Yeah. I mean, here we are in 2021 and half of the teams in the West division are going to make it. So you can pencil in the Vegas golden Knights and the Colorado avalanche. You can probably pencil in the St. Louis blues and then you've got just one more team fighting there for that last that last spot in in the playoffs. And like I was saying earlier, I think it's a pretty good bet that that ends up being the the wild. And so with the Golden Knights very likely to to run up against the Colorado Avalanche in either the first or the second round, these next four games that they play against them over the coming months, uh, all of a sudden take on a much more significant meaning. Right. It's like a dress rehearsal for the playoffs in a way. I am curious how the the players view it, if they see the same urgency or if they see it as, hey, let's just get to the playoffs and then we'll deal with our opponent when we get there. I tend to think that with the the, the passion that this team has started to play with, especially with Mark Stone at, at the helm, that they're going to take any potential losses to a future playoff opponent very very personally and I think that's a good thing I think that's what you want to see out of this team because when they play with passion and when they pay when they play with fire man that that's when they that's when you get a five-point night out of Mark Stone it does seem like they get bored and just sort of cruise out there for a while and like you said maybe they just need something like a rivalry with a stronger team like Colorado Uh, to get going. Like you said, though, it would be interesting to know how the players look at these games. But I think it's it's almost inevitable that it's going to shape some sort of rivalry because the way this season is laid out in this unique situation we're all experiencing, you're seeing little mini playoff series here with playing the same team consecutive nights. Let me ask you a, a question that we haven't talked about before. In a normal season, in a in a season where we aren't facing a, a world crippling virus, in a season where it's easy to travel and it's easy for uh, for the season to, to run as it normally would, would you want to see this type of schedule recreated, where that where the teams play each other in back to back games, uh, three maybe even three in a row, just to to build up that animosity, to build up that that fire? I don't know if you do it for the entire season you certainly don't need the uh, abridged version of the schedule with so many back-to-backs but that notwithstanding again and just a regular situation I think sprinkling them in here and there would be a fun way to to develop potential rivalries I think it would have been interesting to have a, a desert sort of rivalry situation between Vegas and Arizona 
you know, they're leaving the division. So I guess it's a moot point now, but I think there are just ways to approach that where you can sprinkle them in the season, market them as a particular rivalry, maybe even go with a battle of Alberta for a few games that markets itself. Um, There's just several ways you could approach it and make it fun for everybody from a marketing standpoint, from a fan standpoint. And of course the players would enjoy it. I'm sure. So I think that, you know, here and there when used appropriately, it, it might be fun. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're right. I think some sort of a hybrid model that builds in uh, the, these added rivalry games between especially good opponents. You know, I, I don't know that I need to, to see the, the LA Kings four games in a row or, or the Anaheim Ducks four games in a row. But if, if they wanted to build in you know, four straight games uh, against another really good opponent in the division to try and spur some of that, that hatred so that when they get to the playoffs, there's a little bit more there, man, I, I'd be all about that. I mean, if the Sharks were still a strong team, how badly would you want to see that? Especially in the years past, it would have been a lot of fun. Oh, it would have been great. In fact, I would I would have loved to have seen Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane go head to head four games in a row when both teams were good. As it stands now, you know the the Sharks are at the at the bottom of this division, almost the bottom of the league, and so all of a sudden, you know, playing four games in a row against them almost feels like you know punching a baby. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe I don't want to go with that allegory, but you know whatever. It's, it's the internet. Like we can it. do that. Uh, it, it just, it doesn't feel like a fair fight. Um, so back, back to our, our original topic of, of Alex Petrangelo right now, he's the fifth highest paid defenseman in the entire league behind mm-hmm. Eric Carlson. Who's at 11.5 million and woof seven more years of that. Uh, Drew Doughty, who's at 11 million and he's been surprisingly good this year. Uh, Roman Yossi is actually getting back to form I mean how many times have we said that though but looks like he might have a little bit left on the on the tires there yeah listen I think that Eric Carlson is going to have flashes of greatness for the remainder of his career I just don't ever see him getting back to the form that he was in in 2017 when he took the Ottawa Senators all the way to game seven overtime of the Western Conference final Uh, I think that what's left on the tires for him it are those flashes yeah. and maybe he would be a good compliment for an already great team but as it stands right now if if it's up to him and Brent Burns to dra- and maybe Thomas Hurdle to drag that team to the playoffs i just think that's too much for his little groin to handle <laughs> nice roman yossi is next on your list yeah, sorry ro- to derailed ro- you yeah roman yossi at 9 million pk suvin uh, PK Subban at 9 million uh, and then Alex Petrangelo at 8.8 million. So it's interesting. You look at the players that are on that list, everyone ahead of Alex Petrangelo is on the back half of their career. Right. And, you know, that's to be expected, but almost all of those guys have at some point over the last two years, he's 31 years old already. So he's got a chance of that contract looking really bad at the end, but I don't think we're near that point. I don't think we're near Eric Carlson territory. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's, it's fair enough that when, when Alex Petrangelo is 37, is is this going to be a bit of an ugly contract? Sure. But by the time Alex Petrangelo is 37, and Mark Stone is 35, we're going to be witnessing a rebuild at that point. So the, the value of that contract probably isn't going to be that big of an issue. 
and I hate to say this, but if you take just money off the table and compare player to player, regardless of the start Petrangelo had, he's had a much better year than Nate Schmidt, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. I mean, sure, Nate Schmidt had a a really great game for the Canucks a, a couple of days ago, picking up a goal and an assist, but overall... Nate Schmidt has had a, a pretty tough season along with the rest of the Vancouver Canucks. So um, at, at some point we'll get Mac Janning on the show to, uh, to come and discuss uh, all the, the shenanigans that they're getting up to in Vancouver. But uh, yeah, I think that anyone who's arguing that Nate Schmidt would be an improvement over Alex Petrangelo is, is living in a land of wishful thinking. Especially I think early on is when that chatter started just because we did see Petrangelo get caught flat-footed here and there, uh, get burned on some breakaways. And it just, it didn't look great, especially again, we go back to that hype and price tag. But when you actually look at the alternative, it's not great. And Mac Janning is a great guy. I think he's a bit of an optimist though. Give us the truth in a few words. Is Nate Schmidt having a problem because the Canucks are having a problem or is he having issues adjusting to what could be a different system? No, I, I think that Nate Schmidt's having problems because the Canucks are just simply bad. Um, and that, that's what happened there. Goodness. Well, so it, it, it doesn't take a, a ton of investigation to, to figure out, you know, what went wrong with that team. They, they let uh, Jacob Markstrom, who was their best player last year, they let him walk in free agency and replaced him with Braden Holtby, who, you know, may, maybe that was that could have been a smart bet if Braden Holtby was going to have a nice rebound season. But clearly that hasn't happened so far. Um, they, they also gave up uh, Chris Tanev, who was their best defensive defenseman. They also gave up a couple of their other young pieces that they just couldn't afford to re-sign. There were a couple of RFAs, guys that they had under team control that they just couldn't afford to re-sign. And those guys walked. The reason that the Canucks are bad this year is because Jim Benning spent way, way too much money paying his bottom six players to be, you know, knuckle dragging minute eaters. And, and there just, there just wasn't anything worthwhile in that bottom six and their, their best players didn't get a whole lot better over the season. In fact, uh, when you look at what is going on with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, both guys are playing as if they're hurt. And, and so there just isn't a lot there. And so coming back to the original point uh, of Nate Schmidt, Nate Schmidt hasn't changed that much of a player, but just like when he was here in Vegas, he was not the, the star player. He was not the guy that was, you know, you were going to look to, to, to win games for you when the chips were down. He's a great complimentary piece a, a, a good addition to any team's top four, but he's not a number one defenseman. And that's how they're trying to play him as, as a number two to, to Quinn Hughes. And unfortunately, that's a that's just too big of a role for Nate Schmidt, at least in my opinion. And it just goes to show you how delicate having a winning roster can be because, and I admit I got it wrong, um, before all of the changes they made, I thought Vancouver was primed to be on the uptick for several years to come. And I thought they had a really nice, solid core, especially with Pedersen and Hughes, especially with the goaltending <laughs> that we saw in the bubble it just looked like they were primed to just add a few more pieces and keep what they had and really get back into the top of the division again and it just fell apart 
So we're going to come back and talk about another Golden Knights defenseman in just a second here. But first, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. The new and improved Built Bar is the most delicious Built Bar ever. With 18 amazing flavors, including six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple apple almond crisp. There are also 12 original flavors that you can choose from, including coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, orange toffee almond, coconut, peanut butter brownie, and more. And every one of those built Bars is covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, they're easy to chew, and most of all, they are healthy and delicious. Because built Bar is great for the health-conscious guy, whether you're trying to bulk up or lose weight, either way, the built Bar is right for you. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON20, and you'll get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. All right, so we are back and we are going to talk about another defenseman in the Golden Knights core, and that is the newest defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights, Dylan Coughlin. Now, Dylan Coughlin has had an interesting season so far. Uh, he did not start the, the, the year with the Vegas Golden Knights. He started on the taxi squad. Uh, he was ultimately given a game after Braden McNabb went down with injury, and so far he has performed relatively well in a limited sample size, uh, but he he's also struggled to, to put up that first goal. Uh, he struggled to, to put up points. And in last night's game, he really struggled finding himself benched for the entire third period. So I, I'm curious, AJ, I'm going to throw you a, a big wide open question. What do you think of Dylan Coughlin so far in the 2020-2021 season? With any rookie defenseman, young defenseman in general, you're going to have sometimes at times dramatic ups and downs. And I think this is probably just one of those moments. Dylan in general was a late bloomer coming out of the WHL. He didn't exactly light the world on fire his first couple of years. But as he got more time to find himself, more time on the ice, his numbers improved and so did his play. I think that's kind of what's going to have to happen for him. He's going to have to go through these roller coasters. He's going to have to go through the ups and downs and just keep playing because that's the only way you can get a guy like this experience. He's shown flashes uh, just like any other rookie. Um, we've known for a while that he's got a big shot from the blue line. So he kind of just expected him to jump in and be great in DeBoer's system. Fortunately, that hasn't always been the case. But again, he's 23 years old. Yeah, 23 years old, and he's a negative five, a minus five yeah. uh, on the on the season. So obviously not uh, not excelling. Now he's not getting power play time, which is where he would typically generate the majority of his points. Um, and, and he's playing bottom pair minutes, if that. Uh, right. and, and he was paired last night with Nick Hague, and that's a that's a tough matchup for uh, for any two rookies to be you know, paired together to to go out against. Uh, a team that's likely to hit the playoffs like the Minnesota wild. So maybe he wasn't really set up for success, but at the same time, when a guy makes his way into the NHL, you're hoping you're hoping that he's going to knock the door down, that he's going to make it impossible to take himself out of the lineup. And, and I, I think it'd be hard to argue that Dylan Coughlin has made it impossible for, for the coaching staff to consider taking him out. I think to, to the contrary, I think this staff is really looking forward to having Braden McNabb back in the lineup because with Braden McNabb, man, you've got a really solid you know, six defenseman with, 
you know, your, the original top four plus White Cloud and, and Haig. Yeah, I think it's been really important to see Haig improve the way he has as well. And I think back to last season with Nick Haig in and out of the lineup, especially when Gallant was still coach, and it's crazy to say that that's last season. But I think that's probably what Coglin's going to end up being is a guy that's in and out of the lineup for hopefully – uh, the right reasons and not injuries or what have you. But I think that's ultimately what this year will end up shaping up to be for him. And next year is when he really takes off or has the opportunity to. I don't know if we'll see that out of him this year. But look, as I said, there have been positives in his game to look at. And you just hope that he puts a string of games together with those instead of the mistakes that we've seen at times. Yeah, I mean, there have been some really good plays from Dylan Coughlin over the course of, of nine games. And I, I don't want him to paint it as if, uh, you know, he's been a huge disappointment or anything like that. But at 23 years old, you know, having been an undrafted free agent, you know, what you'd hope to see from Dylan Coughlin at age 23 is enough that he's going to force his way onto an NHL roster. I don't expect that you're going to be able to trade Dylan Coughlin this year. Unfortunately, he's eligible to be selected in the expansion draft if he were on any other team because he's played at least two uh, full pro seasons already. And so he's likely going to be a Golden Knight throughout the course of the season. But I, I don't know that the Golden Knights are are going to be comfortable with him being their, their seventh defenseman uh, long term if he, if he can't step up that defensive play. Uh, when he moves his feet, when, when he keeps his feet moving at all times, he, he can be an NHL defenseman. But I think what, what I've seen is that when things go wrong, it's because he's watching the play, he's gliding a little bit, and, and not being as active as you would want for a guy that's playing in the, in the best league in the world. Well, let me ask you this, because let me take a pessimistic point of view here. His first year in Chicago in the AHL was actually pretty solid. 40 points in 66 games, and he was a plus four. I know plus minus is what it is as a stat, but it's all we have to go on here as I pose the question. The next year, his points dropped from 40 to 24, and he was actually a minus nine. Has this been something that's become an issue over the course of two seasons? Or is this just, again, a young player trying to find his way? So I think that stat line's a little bit deceptive because in Coughlin's first year, he was playing sheltered minutes on a very, very good Chicago Wolves team uh, that was going to go all the way to the uh, to to the Calder Cup final, um, which is the the championship for the AHL. And, and so, playing a little bit further down the lineup, it was easier for him to to take those weaker matchups, uh, for him to score goals against weaker opponents. Uh, but then. The following year, after they they lost some of that really high-end AHL talent, and when there were fewer guys ahead of him on the depth chart, he had to step up and take bigger responsibilities. And unfortunately, uh, when he when he was forced into that role, he he didn't excel as as much as you might have hoped. Even though he had more minutes, he was scoring less, he was getting scored on more. And, and so I don't think that he got worse as a player, but I don't think that he rose to, to meet the challenges as well as folks might've, might've hoped for. And, and I think that's sort of what we're seeing now, not that he's crashing and burning, not that he can't play a game here or there, but that he's not, he's not putting out the results that you need to see for him, for him to demand a place in the, in the lineup. So 
you know, are we going to see him sent back down to, to Henderson? I'd be surprised if we didn't at some point. Um, he's, he's got nine games now, so he'll go to the, he'll go to the taxi squad. It's not like he's hurting for ice time. Uh, but I'm not sure that he's shown enough to prove that he's, uh, an NHL player on a Stanley cup caliber team. Really makes the missing of Braden McNabb that much more stronger, just because I think he's, when he's not taking penalties at inopportune times, I think Braden McNabb is one of the more underrated players in the entire lineup on the Vegas squad. And unfortunately, we're seeing that exposed in a brutal way, <laughs> just because, again, you've got so many young players in the defensive lineup right now that you're going to see them make mistakes here and there. Unless your last name is White Cloud, in which case you're just a phenomenon that <laughs> very rarely makes mistakes as a young player. But that's what you're going to see with guys like Glass, Coughlin, and Haig. I would have been shocked if you had told me at the beginning of the season that there would be a point where there are three guys who each had less than you know 50 games played in the NHL all in the lineup at once, two of which were in your top four. That, that would have shocked blown. Shocked and afraid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but that being said, two of those guys, both Haig and White Cloud, have shown themselves to be legitimate options to, to play those big minutes. Uh, I don't have the same worries about uh, about Nick Haig that I do for for Dylan Coughlin, despite the fact that Haig is probably not as good of a skater when they're both giving it their all. And despite the fact that Nick Haig is not as as agile as as Dylan Coughlin in as Dylan Coughlin is when he's at his best. I think the the major difference there, aside from a giant wingspan and the, the ability to be more physically imposing, is that the defensive responsibility is there and he doesn't put his teammates in a bad position. Uh, meanwhile, Dylan Coughlin, I, as much as I'm, I'm glad to see him, you know, doing well enough through nine games, not to stick out like a sore thumb. He, he has put his teammates in a bad position from time to time. And again, it goes back to last year where Nick Haig had the opportunity to get into the lineup and make the kind of mistakes that we're seeing Coughlin make, get it out of his system, if you will. The experience was invaluable last year, even if it was during a time of coaching transition. I hate to pile onto a, a young guy who's just trying to make his way in the league, but the Golden Knights don't have the luxury right now of uh, waiting and seeing you know, whether or not a guy is a, is a true NHL defenseman. They're trying to win a Stanley Cup this year. And if, if, if it's shown that uh, Dylan Coughlin can't be relied on to keep the puck out of the net, then there may be other options down in Henderson that they need to look at uh, the next time they, they find themselves shorthanded. Especially when you can't really make a move for another guy outside of your own roster because you're up against the cap and you're not getting any relief anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, with with all of $8.88 <laughs> left under the under the cap for them to spend this year, uh, not a whole lot of, of options available to them. So before we go any further, I just want to take a quick second to talk to you about locked on bets. Uh, betting on the NHL doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, you can get daily picks, uh, blowout specials, the wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. So subscribe to Locked On Bets podcast, brought to you by the BetOnline.ag. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts. 
And speaking of betonline.ag, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your local sports action. Uh, football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and especially hockey is in full swing. BetOnline covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, just about anything you want to bet on, you can bet on at betonline.ag. You can get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. So BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll, uh, you'll be able to get your welcome bonus. So go to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So AJ, we've talked about Alex Petrangelo. We've talked about Dylan Coughlin. We've talked about the, the new. We've talked about the newer. Let's talk about a guy that has been as steady and as reliable as anyone could have hoped for. Alec Martinez has quietly been one of the Vegas Golden Knights' best defensemen all season long. Yeah, the moment he got here, you and I were pretty upset at the price tag. Two second-round picks. To get him at the deadline, we weren't sure if he was even going to stay with the team after last season. But he has been a quietly consistent and solid player. It's, again, like another former Kings defenseman I mentioned earlier, Braden McNabb, sort of underrated a lot of the time when he's not taking those penalties I mentioned. Alec Martinez is a lot like that. He's just going about his business quietly, but he's also being relied on a lot more than I think either of us expected before the season started. He's quite a few games where he's actually had much more ice time than Shea Theodore even. Yeah, he, he played all of 25 minutes in the, the win over the Minnesota Wild. And, and sure, that's with Dylan Coughlin having been benched for the entire third period, but he led the entire team in, in ice time. And, and you know, you look back to when Alex Petrangelo was out on COVID protocol. He and Alec Martinez was paired with Shea Theodore that entire time. Then when Shea Theodore went down injured, uh, Alec Petrangelo and Alex Martinez were, were paired together. And he's been the flex seal, the flex tape of the Vegas Golden Knights defensive pairings. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. That's a really good comparison, actually. It, it, he has been the fix-all. Whatever you need him to do, he's been there to do it. If, if you need him on the power play, he'll play on the power play. If you need him on the penalty kill, he'll go there too. He may not be your top choice for either of those things if you have an entirely healthy roster, but he hasn't looked at a place, as far as I can remember, uh, it, during a single game. He has he has not stood out as making any giant mistakes. Maybe he's, you know, he's hasn't been perfect defensively it, because no one is perfect defensively, but he has been as reliable of a defenseman as I think the golden Knights have had you know, perhaps as long as, as long as they've been a team. Well, he did make one very, very large mistake. And that was picking the Detroit lions as super bowl winners as a long-time <laughs> suffering Detroit Lions fan, I know that that is just always throwing your money down the toilet. But other than that, yeah, and again, he's in the, the backside of his career, if you will, and he's just been what you exactly what you want out of a player like that. Just goes about his business, does it with veteran poise and consistency. And, hey, he's, he's been getting involved into the offensive game a lot more lately, too. He's been like Keegan Colazar in that he's like William Carey and Colazar, I should say, 
just on the edge of a few great opportunities to where just an inch and his stat line would look a lot different. But stats aside, he's been there defensively, which is really, really important when you have a lineup like the Gold Knights do with so many offensively or offensive uh, offense forward defensive players. You know, absolutely. Because Alec Martinez is so reliable in the D zone, it allows guys like Shea Theodore and Alec Petrangelo to show off that offensive flair because they know that every time uh, Alec Martinez is going to be back there to clean up whatever might come the other direction. Uh, his, his ability to dive in and poke pucks away when a guy has a partial breakaway, man, he, he has probably saved five or six uh dead to right shots on a goaltender, whether it be Flurry or Leonard, um, just because Alec Martinez is able to skate with the best of them. He's able to, to hang with just about any forward in the league. Uh, and he, you know that he's always going to be in the right position. So I, I have been really pleased with what Alec Martinez has brought to the team. And at the same time, I'm going to be really curious to see how things shake out for him uh, when the season wraps up, he makes about $4 million a year right now. And, and obviously COVID and the, the effects that it's had on the finances, of the league is going to keep uh, the, the salary cap flat for at least the next year. And I don't know if there's room under the cap for Alec Martinez, if they want to make any changes anywhere else in the roster. Uh, there well, are be 34 by that time. Do you think that he maybe uh, comes down on his price or tries to make as much on his way out of the league? Man, I, if I were in his shoes, if I've got two cups, I'd be trying to milk this league for every dime I can, as long as I can still make money. Um, that being said, Vegas is a really easy place to live. It's got a tax-free climate. There's a lot of things to really like about Vegas. And so maybe, yeah, maybe he does come down on his price, uh, but even still, I'm not sure how much money you can devote to Alec Martinez if you're trying to patch any of the, the other holes in the lineup, particularly down the middle for the Vegas Golden Knights, where you know we've talked before, that's probably where their biggest need is. And I love to shoehorn Zach Whitecloud in whenever possible. So since we're talking about defensive men and being up against the cap, just another reminder that he makes the league minimum this year and next. Well, I mean, I think it's a point worth making that it, when you've got Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Nick Haig, and, and Zach Whitecloud, those are four guys that make up a pretty good top four. Uh, yeah. Top four, and then you know if you've got Braden McNabb to add to the mix, and you're just looking for one more defenseman to add, whether it be a free agent or or another young player, you know whether it's Dylan Coglin or um, you know. Or, or one of the younger guys in the system, someone like Caden Korzak, or, or even a Ryan Murphy, who we talked about yesterday. You know, there are a lot of options for the Vegas Golden Knights, and I, I don't know that they're going to, to spend the money to keep Alec Martinez in the system, even as valuable as he's been this year. You know, we have we have jam-packed this episode full of discussions about the Vegas Golden Knights defenseman, uh, but I do want to take just a quick second uh, to talk to you about the Locked On NHL podcast. Every Wednesday on Locked On NHL, take a deep dive into the Western Conference with Sarah Avampato of Locked On Kings and Pam Gazzola of Locked On Oilers. Whether it's a look at the top-end contenders like Vegas and Colorado or breaking down the rebuilds of the Kings or the Blackhawks, Locked On NHL has you covered on Western Conference Wednesdays, so subscribe to Locked On NHL wherever you get your podcasts. 
So we'll be back tomorrow with more Golden Knights action on Locked On Golden Knights.